This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. Scoop. Hey everyone, we're back. It's the uh, it's summer season at Forever Mighty Podcast. Uh, it's our, I always called it like postseason show. So I guess we'll just stick with that. But I like summer season <laughs> hockey better. I haven't decided what I wanted. It's it's just it's another interview season. That's interview. Yeah. Oh, there yeah. you go. It is interview hey, season. Uh, they could technically be preseason too. It, yeah, we're we're that they're yeah, at that point. Uh, uh, that's that what point. we're looking at. <laughs> there's no off season. Just hockey no. season and preseason. Not for us. There's never an off season. <laughs> we get we got to put out content every couple of weeks or every week if we we have a lot going on. Um, as Eddie just said, we have interview season as we have a bunch of those that uh, have come out over the last summer so we appreciate everyone who's come on jay it's it's good to see you it's good to see yes. you back in the program yeah yeah been a little while crazy that's what air conditioning <laughs> does in the summer in southern california makes you less available oh when it's 100 degrees for two weeks or three weeks straight <laughs> yeah. i guess you're not busy at all no 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 social life so today boys we have uh Quite a bit of news to cover. I mean, the NHL put out uh, an article about the Ducks. We'll hop into that. Uh, we have an interview on this show also, speaking of interview season. So that'll come uh, towards the, you know, you guys will hear it towards the uh, the, the middle of the show. The Will Francis will come on the show uh, to talk to us. It was very kind of him to take time out of his summer after being drafted. So that's one to stick around for, for sure. But we have a couple other things we got to get to. Uh, Scott Wheeler's article, we had him on the show uh, about a week ago talking about prospects in NHL. He mentioned three and made his top 50 and then one that didn't. That kind of pissed some people off. So uh, we'll definitely get to that. But first, NHL decides to – they do this every year, right? They did 31 and 31 or 30 and 30. No, they definitely stole it from us. Yeah, that's very yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, we we yeah, attempted yeah. to do that last summer with puck guys, and it didn't really <laughs> turn out. Turns out it's a lot of work with three guys with families to do these things. <laughs> um, but they put out an article, in-depth analysis uh, for each of its 31 teams throughout August to kind of get you through, uh, what's the cliche, dog days of, of summer, uh, or yeah. baseball season, boring season. Uh, yeah, well, well, didn't you hear they they call a uh, uh, baseball America's pastime because it's what you have to do to pass the time between hockey season. You have to pass the time with it. <laughs> I, I can't get into it, man. I, I I try every once in a while to get into. It. I just can't get into it. Trout's amazing like to watch. Show me highlights of that guy all yeah. day. I'm gonna watch. Uh, yeah. That guy's amazing. It's not too bad, but yeah, it's uh, you definitely have to have a, a solid amount of beer to to sit and watch the whole game. Eddie, do you are you are you a stickball fan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you have uh, baseball thoughts? Uh, uh, 
every now and then. I I tried to get into baseball, and uh, I can't go watch games live. I went to go see one game, and you watch it on TV, and then you're like, yeah, it's, you know, two or three hours long, feels long, and then you go to a game and you sit there for three hours, and yeah, it's it, and then it's in the heat, and yeah, it's it feels even longer. And then you're hey, you $110 gotta... deep in beer. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, the ticket only costs twenty dollars, so it's fine. <laughs> It costs twenty bucks for you guys. We get we get like seven dollar liters, like, like seven or five bucks. But then you just drop all the money in beer because you're just like, oh my god, I need to fast forward this game. <laughs> I went on the Blue Jays for good, so maybe yeah. that also. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, let's let's hop into this news. We got uh, we're gonna go through the three questions. We don't need to dissect this article all the way through. We were talking about prospects later, um, but let's let's talk about the first question here. The 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 question that. Uh, they decided to go first with is how will the team transition under coach Dallas Eakins? Uh, Aikens. I, I'm always going to mess that up. It's Aikens, 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 Aikens. I swear I'll get like, it. Yeah. At, like, e is silent, Pat. Don't say it. Um, how do you <laughs> guys feel about that? It, it was it was more of a question that they posed. They didn't really analyze it. It just kind of talks about um, – you know, they're going to be very competitive or, you know, we're going to have enough people who already understand uh, the values of the coach and what his vision is. But to you guys, uh, has your opinions changed since this hiring? Uh, do you guys feel like this is heading in the right direction? Yeah, well, anything's better than what it was last season. I feel like uh, a lot of players are, are kind of getting uh, crapped off for having a bad season last year. And uh, I just want to see what most of those analytics were under Carlisle versus what was under Bob Murray. And even Bob Murray is not a head coach and just used, you know, whatever. I mean, the style completely changed from day one on. And I feel that will probably continue under what Eakins or Aikens is going to do. <laughs> I'll do it too. Uh, what Aikens is going to do as far as the coach. Uh, but I think he played a much uh, more, he wants you to play hard defensively. You know, you, you buy, buy the book, you cover here, you go there, you're structured on defense. But when you go to offense, be creative. Have some idea of, you know, where everything's going to happen, but be more creative. I like that approach uh, for this NHL and let your offensive players just kind of be dynamic and creative. And when you have younger players, they're coming up with new things that you don't necessarily see the older old school players kind of come up with. So I'm more excited that he's taking that approach, that defense is going to have an understanding of what they need to do. And so I'm more optimistic. He's anything's going to be better than Carlisle. But I actually think not only is it just anything, it's what we need, given the, the uh, talent and the age of the uh, players coming up. I think they'll transition well. It all just depends on how well you think they're going to do. Like, what is your term for success this year, this season? Is it making the playoffs? Then maybe that's not transitioning well for you. If it's just playing better than last year, playing more entertaining hockey, scoring more goals than last year, then I think they'll transition well in that way. Dallas Aikens will bring in a different system, one that probably fits better than Randy Carlisle. Honestly, anything will likely be better than what the Ducks had last year. And with the fact that you know a lot of the younger players coming up and Sam Steele and maybe Jones and Comtois and Terry, they've all had experience with Dallas Aikens last year. So I think that's going to help out a little bit. So the transition will be fine. It's just how successful they're going to be. That is kind of the question that's going to be up in the air. Well, I mean, if you look at 
the you know the article states it for me perfectly in in the two paragraphs so two short paragraphs it's He's comfortable within the organization. He's known management a long time, and he knows many of the young players that could make the roster. Uh, and then in quotes, it says that uh, we have a number of players in this organization that already understand what I value, Aiken said. I know what they value. For me, it just really speeds up the process. So, I mean, he's familiar. He knows these guys. Uh, he knows what's, what the expectation is. I like We like this hire, right, because it comes from not a place where this guy's brand new, coming in, bringing in all his staff, doesn't know the management, doesn't know the players. These guys want to play for Aikens already off the bat. Um, and this guy, like he knows how to motivate young guys. And that's what this team is. So I'm really excited to see what this transition means for defense more than the offense. I, I, I mean, that defense under Carlisle was so bad. It was just so, so bad. Um, they were just hemorrhaging shots all day. I mean, we saw Gibson get fatigued the past two seasons under Randy Carlisle. Um, I, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he brings on the defensive side of things. I, I hope that it boosts, you know, my boy Hampy over there uh, in the Ducks organization, <laughs> and he has a breakout year for him. So I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest with you guys. Me too. Yeah, I, I think people will be a little bit more more surprised as far as how, how well we can play, even given that we're going to have younger players in there. I think uh, this season looks a lot better than a, I think a lot of people are are expecting. Well, yeah, you need to see more creativity, I think, on offense because that's something they lacked last year. It was just boring to watch a lot of games where obviously the defense was an issue at times where they were getting blown out in the shot department, but they weren't developing or producing a lot of quality chances. There would be games where, you know, how many times do we say they put up over 30, 35 shots and the scoring chances they had were nothing? You know, they might out, out of might have outshot a team 35 to 20 in a game. But it didn't feel like it, and they got outplayed, yet they put up a ton of shots because they weren't really getting quality scoring chances. They were just shooting the puck from the outside, or, or the other team was limiting their chances. So that's what I want to see if that transition you know, goes in that direction. I, I think it will, because it, it all depends on what system and the way the, the style that Dallas Aikens wants to play. But I think, again, like we've already said, anything is better than what Randy Carlisle had last year. And from what we saw in San Diego and from what he said so far, that we're likely going to see a little more creativity and hopefully some some better scoring chances and just better hockey to watch than what we saw last year. So that leads us right into the second question. And it says, where is the offense going to come from? Where is the scoring going to come from? The Ducks were ranked last in the NHL in goals last season with 196, averaging just 2.39 per game. They were shut out nine times and scored fewer goals in <laughs> scored two or fewer in 45 of 82 games. Getzloff led us with 48 points, guys. It's it was it's pretty dire looking at that lineup offensively last season. <laughs> so where is all this going to come from? The Ducks haven't brought in literally anybody to help on the scoring front. They've done nothing. They're paving the way for kids. Um, so my question to you guys is, and it's kind of I guess where this this question on NHL.com is 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 basically trying to make you think is can we trust the kids with you know limited experience i mean 81 combined nhl games from steel terry Comtois, and lundestrom is that something that uh, we can rely on going into into this first season under dallas akins well you don't know for sure i mean you can't necessarily rely on it but you gotta have a, a hope or a faith in it and i think that these these kids for two reasons one when uh, you know, last season when uh, Terry was up at the beginning of the season, there wasn't much going on, you know, and he struggled and, you know, it, it was a second time around, you know, struggling a little bit, went down, just blew it up under Aikens and uh, the AHL came back up completely different player. 
so he's there. Sam Steele showed uh, a lot of uh, great ability uh, to be in there and uh, kind of help solidify the center depth uh, with Kessler being gone. Jones, I think, is, is is so many inches away from having so many more goals last yeah. season. Last season was just it it sucked all around. There was the so I hate using that as like well they they weren't all that great or the team wasn't that great or Silverberg. It was like Silverberg wasn't good. Raquel wasn't good. Getzloff wasn't good until Carlisle left. Once that happened, all of a sudden Silverberg goes way past 20 goals. Raquel starts to find his uh, touch a little bit. And I think uh, the, the Terry, the Jones, uh, adding in Comtois is a possibility that he's going to come in, provide some of that offense. If Kasha can stay healthy, he's poised to get a lot more minutes, and he's really good five-on-five five, uh, within the entire NHL. So, I mean, th- that offense will be there more, in my opinion. Uh, you can't look at last season and go like, well, there's not a whole lot to be optimistic about. I look at last season and go like, that's the worst we could be, and there's no way we can be that bad again. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they'll be that bad because you would assume Ricard Raquel will have a rebound season, and maybe he won't hit 30, but you would hope he'd be settled around 25, between 25 and 30 if we're if we're lucky. Uh, Jakob Silverberg, if he can get 20 to 25, that's about the same as what he had last year, and that was considered a good year for him. Adam and Henrique, you hope, could hit 20 to 25 and in a rebound year where he had 18. And then the big one for me is Andre Kasher in a fully healthy year. When you look at the fact, and we're going to get into this later, he was second in the league in five five on five shot attempts. And the guys that were in that top ten, I think almost all of them except for one, and then obviously Kasher, were 30 goal scorers last year or more. So not to say that he's going to hit 30 for sure, but he is in that company. And if he can produce at the same rate he was last year, that's a guy who could score 20 to 30 for the Ducks. That's an increase right there. And then... It comes down to what can Sam Steele and Troy Terry and Comtois, if he makes the team, and Max Jones, what can they do? And, you know, there are only three guys over 15 goals this year. And I think saying that maybe Maxim Comtois or Troy Terry or Sam Steele could hit 15 goals isn't out of the question. Same for Max Jones. So if you get those guys hitting over 15 as well, that's, you know, five, six, seven, maybe eight guys that could hit over 15 goals last year when you only had three last year. So the offense isn't going to jump into the top 10 in the league. It might not even jump into the top half of the league, but it's going to be better than last year. They're not going to be dead last. There's going to be some improvement, but to say that it's going to go from dead last to top 10, I think that's a bit of a stretch. It's got to be a big, a bit of a stretch. And a lot of it's going to rely on special teams. I feel like, you know, the ducks didn't produce there, right. And that's the numbers state themselves. And, um, Getzloff not producing on the power play as a goal scorer. Uh, they don't really have a trigger man because Raquel really wasn't able to find his footing last season until the end of the year. Um, so it's all going to depend on on this these new systems and how they're going to be clicking here under Dallas Akins. Uh, and we also, you guys, we can't count on all these kids making the team out, out the gate. I mean, I don't think the Ducks are just going to you know flood their entire roster with all these young guys. It's going to be here and there. Um, except for guys like Troy Terry. I think Terry's going to make the team right out of camp. There's no question he's, gonna, he's an NHL-caliber player. Um, he's probably he's a middle six forward. I don't think he's ever going to be a top-line guy. And I, I don't really feel like any of these guys uh, that are coming up in the system besides Trevor Zegras, um, and he's a couple of years away, I don't think any of these guys are top-line guys. We just, we have, the Ducks have a really good middle six that's forming um, it, with their youngsters. They don't have that elite level coming in yet, but... Um, I just I still don't see them being all on the roster at once. This is going to be a good mix until the Ducks sort out what they're doing with their older players. I I, I mean I 
I mean, Sam Steele, I mean, in my opinion, he'll he'll eventually kind of take over that number two spot. I don't know if that's going to happen this year if they let Henrique and Getzloff kind of take the top two, which is what I think. Henrique's but, a, really good, mean, a really good performer. He, he's not a bad player. Yeah, but Sam Steele has shown that he's he's able to take over that number two spot, at least, the, you know, from, from an offensive. He does everything good. He doesn't do everything great. So, like you said, not, not top line, but he's definitely shown himself as a good second-line guy. Um, and as far as this upcoming season, I wouldn't be surprised to see what we saw in the 2007 year, and that's have a kid line where you have Jones on one side, Terry on the other, and Sam Steele, and they're all third-line guys. I mean, that, that wouldn't surprise me either, and then throw in a Comtois somewhere. And then even have, you know, if Richie, Richie was actually decent when he finally got on the team and started playing, obviously still bonehead, you know, penalties that he takes, but it felt like his offensive side was a little bit better. So it'll be interesting to see if he can contribute at that same pace or if he starts to falter and what they want to do with him. I think the only guys you could say are locks for the younger players next year are Troy Terry and Sam Steele. Sam Steele. And, and I think Sam Steele's the big one because Ryan Kessler's not going to be playing. And you've got Getzlaff and Henrique who are likely to be 1-2, and Sam Steele will be right in there as number three. He's a lot better than Devin Shore, than Carter Rowney, uh, even Isaac Linderstrom, you know, not to say Isaac Linderstrom's a bad player, but Sam Steele's more experienced and is likely above him on the depth chart to get into that spot. So I think Sam Steele's a lock. Uh, Troy Terry should be, but the right side, even with Corey Perry going, there's still a little bit of competition on that right side with Silverberg and Kasha and Kiefer Sherwood as well. But I think Troy Terry likely slots in at second or third line right wing. Like Pat said, he's a, a middle six forward, and, and that'll be a good chance for him to get some increased minutes and play with some good players. Uh, but then on the left side is where some of the question marks come in because you do have Ricard Burkell who's going to take that top left, uh, top line left wing spot. And then you've got Richie, you've got Devin Shore who could play on the left. You've got then Maxim Comtois who maybe he'll start with the, the team, but he's only played 10 games and he spent the entire uh, rest of the season in the QMJHL. And there's Max Jones who came up and looked really well, but the stats don't really line up with that. He got unlucky, but he didn't put up the points. So, He's not a lock, I could say, because you look at Comtois and Jones are guys you could easily put down in San Diego with their waiver exempt. You don't have to worry about you know Nick Deloria getting sent down there or Nick Ritchie getting sent down there. Can we there not talk about else. Nick Deloria ever, please? Just, can we not <laughs> talk about it? The season hasn't even started. I don't want to talk about Nick. <laughs> He's already getting mad. <laughs> There's a there's a chance that uh, Nick Deloria or you know Devin Shore uh, end up taking the, the spot. Okay. Nick Ritchie. When you look at the roster spots for this team coming up, the, the fact that one, two, three center is going to be Getzloff, Henrik Steele. I think we can all agree on that. And then fourth line center is either going to be Rowney or Grant. So that likely puts Lindstrom down in San Diego. And that moves short of the wing. So then you're on the left side. You've got Ritchie, who's likely going to take a spot. You've got Nick Deloria, who... I don't think he should, but he'll likely take a left-wing spot on this team unless he becomes a 13th forward. And then Devin Shore, who they're still paying money and is, is a serviceable forward, they'll probably play him as a, a third-line winger. So that limits the amount of opportunities you have for both Comtois and Jones or even one of them to make the roster. So I think for those two guys, it will depend on how they do in camp and if they can you know, outplay wow. some guys or start the season and play pretty well. But 
there's a lot going for them to start the season in San Diego just because of the fact that they can easily be sent down there and the Ducks don't have to worry about making additional roster moves. All right, well, let's let's round up this third question here. And it, it goes to another thing that uh, Eric Stevens on The Athletic had covered. It, it, do the Ducks have enough enough depth at defense? So they, lo- they lose Andy Walensky to the Flyers, Jacob Magna to Vegas, Jake Dotson to the St. Louis Blues. Um, so you're getting rid of some players on that end. Megna was the surprise was actually a surprise to me to be real with you guys because he was the captain down in San Diego last year if I'm not mistaken Um, and then right now they have six NHL uh, defensemen signed to the team Michael Delzato, Cam Fowler, Brendan Gooley, Corbinian Holzer, Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson and to me right away I already stack them it's Hampus and Manson um, it's Fowler and Gooley and then Delzato and Corbinian Holzer and then Whoever they want to pull up from San Diego, maybe maybe Josh Mahura gets a chance to come up into the lineup. I don't know, but uh, I, I think I'm not too upset with the names I just read. If we're talking about defense this year, I'm not really upset about that at all. As long as Brendan Gooley is able to get uh, time at, when he's healthy, and they look the same as as last season with Cam Fowler, as long as they look the same, I'm good with it. Yeah, I, I'm not a I, I'm not a Debbie Downer. I mean, it's it's a it's a solid B in my okay. opinion. So yeah. I mean, it's not like yeah, it's a it's it's not the top of the league, but it's it's not horrible. Uh, whenever you got uh, Lindholm and Manson, if that chemistry you know continues on, it's kind of like the whole roster, more... right? Except for Gibson, yeah. the whole roster is kind of like yeah, we're solid. We don't have any McDavid's yeah. or Sean Couturier's yeah. or uh, or Mark Stone's. But we got it's a, lot a middling of lineup. It, yeah. It's a bubble lineup. That that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 big question comes down to another thing is that, you know can the Ducks shake all their injuries because if they start getting injuries on defense and then we start getting thinner God, and we see it every like year. well who goes down and then then we're kind of in trouble. But the the saving grace is that even if the Ducks don't have the strongest of defense or they're not in that A category, they've got the two two number one goalies in my opinion between John Gibson who's an elite goalie uh and then Ryan Miller who's a capable number one but is playing a backup role so I mean any given night you should have one of those two guys playing for you they can make up for a B team B defense and if the team's all playing better defensively and better offensively they aren't going to get shelled nearly as much as they did in the first you know two-thirds of last season so there's a lot of room again for optimism even though they're not technically high elite level um, as far as the whole defensive core. I don't think the question's asking the right question. Uh, it, it asks if the Ducks have enough depth. I think they have enough depth on defense. It's how good is that depth? Because you've got, like Pat said, you've got Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. That is a great pairing. You've got Gouli and Fowler that look good and that will likely get put together. And then after that, you've just got a lot of five, six, seven, maybe eight, you know, five, six, seven guys in that, that position. You've got Larson, Holzer, you've got Yanni Hackenpah, you've got Michael Delzato, and then they brought in Chris Weidman, and then you still have Josh Mahura, who will likely start in San Diego, but there's a good chance he might see some time. So you've got, what, six guys there as potentials, five or six on this team, or a seventh defenseman. They're not great. So like you said, if Fowler gets injured, or if, if Lindholm gets injured, or if Manson gets injured, there's depth there to replace them. But you know what but the key not is? quality depth. Eddie, the key is that there's only one player 
on the Ducks depth chart right now with the Stanley Cup, and they brought the ring into the room with Michael Delzato. So, oh yes, yeah, all yeah. that experience well, of that cup run last. I don't year. think he has a cup. I don't think he, he has to go through petition for a cup. I don't know if he has one yet. Hey, I'm I saw not him jump call into him, the uh, pool. Okay, I saw him jump yeah. into the pool with the Stanley he might, Cup. He might have the Stanley Cup, but until he has a ring, I'm not going to call him the Stanley Cup. Champion. Yeah, he's got to have the ring, and it's got to be on the outside of his glove, so that anytime someone tries to like pull a boo on it, goes ah ah ah. No, 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 no. Check this, go, baby. Go back. You go back to center ice. <laughs> I'm Delzato. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what they do and who they play in that that uh, that five spot on the left side because it could be Delzato. It could be Larson. I doubt it's uh, it's Mahara. And even on the right side, it could be Holzer. It could be Hackenpah. It could be Chris Weidman. They could play a lefty on that side. So it'll be interesting to see what they do because you know Weidman's played NHL time he spent a lot of time with the AHL last year Holzer was the same with the Ducks so none of these guys are you know for sure NHL guys and I think that's what the Ducks are kind of aiming for there and guys who could swap between San Diego and Anaheim because San Diego doesn't have a lot of defensive depth right now losing Magna and Walensky so it'll be interesting to see what they do but that 5-6 pairing I think is going to be an adventure for the Ducks for most of the season well let's we have a couple of quick hits here um just some quick notes that happened over the last couple of weeks um mostly like oh, seven days really last week Shattenkirk bought out by the New York Rangers so staying on the defensive note here talking about depth defensemen here for the Ducks he gets bought out after two seasons in New York. It was a big deal that he went there. Everyone made a big deal about him going there. He was excited to go to New York. It's where he wanted to go. Uh, he's had it's two there, bad seasons uh, in New York. He's 30 years old. He hasn't played the same since leaving St. Louis. Uh, I think he had one goal and 17 assists last year. And he's not too good defensively. But there already is rumors out there. That uh, why don't the Ducks pick him up? I'm sure every every team in the league has their own rumor mill about Kevin Shattenkirk. But oh uh, yeah, Toronto. He's definitely wanted to. Go he's to most Toronto. likely going to Toronto. Um, Everyone knows that. Do you guys like the idea of him coming here? The guy made six point five six or six point six million dollars uh, per season last year, and he's got two years left on that deal. Yeah, six point six five. Um. Yeah, my thought on it is. So, would you pay um, that amount of money? Because I know we don't no, have to pay that. If we no, get him. no, he no, no. He was he was overpaid out. because he was the, the the best defenseman available. He did have good seasons in St. Louis, but you can kind of attribute some of that with playing with Petrangelo, All Star, um, and then he went to Washington. Really didn't help them out in their one cup run. Uh, you know, before they actually won the cup, signed as the biggest defensive free agent got overpaid four years and now has been bought out after two subpar years and I, those are his cool. even strength stats i believe overall he had 28 points so just to clarify yeah, yeah so it's it's not like he's untalented and it's not you know worth our time to investigate it depends on that price level and um he's gonna have to he's had two bad years and sometimes that happens where you play um, in one system, on one team for a while, you move somewhere else, and everything you used to be good at just kind of falls away a little bit. The talent's still there, but it just doesn't click. So I think he signs maybe a one-year contract somewhere. The Ducks, if they're interested, uh, I would try and keep it at two or under million, and that's possible just because he just got paid no matter what, and a lot of times when they get bought out, they'll use a lower contract and a show-me contract, and the Ducks might be able to benefit, help solidify that maybe a little bit, but I'm not going to overpay for a 30-year-old guy who hasn't shown me anything since he played with an all-star. 
I, I would disagree a little bit because I think he was pretty good when he came over from Washington, had 14 points in 19 games, uh, and had some really good years in St. Louis before. So I think, yeah, he got overpaid, but he, he kind of earned that contract that he got with the Rangers. And his first season with New York, he was injured for about half the season. He only played 46 games. He still put up 23 points. So in a full season, he's looking at about 42 points and 10 goals, which is right on par with how he, what he was doing in St. Louis to begin with. So his only bad season was last year where he still put up 28 points in 73 games. I think if you bring him in, he honestly brings you very similar impact to what Brandon Montour brought the Ducks. And I know a lot of people are going to be upset with me when they say that comparing Shattenkirk to Montour, but they're both very good at zone entries, zone exits, entry defenses, and they're strong suit. Brandon Montour is honestly almost just as bad, if not worse, at entry defense than Shattenkirk has been over the last three years. And they're very, very similar in zone exit and zone entry uh, efficiency. And their shot contributions are pretty much similar. You could argue that uh, Shattenkirk's actually a little bit better at that. So over the last three seasons, that's Washington, New York, New York for Shattenkirk. He's actually been better than Brandon Montour has been. The points are about the same. So if if you're the Ducks and you can bring him in for one year, maybe two years, and you want to try and squeak out to make the playoffs, we we talk about how the owners obviously want to make the playoffs and and try and be competitive. It's good for, you know, good to market the team. It's good that they'll make money that way. I don't know if Shattenkirk automatically makes you a playoff team. He's not, he's still not the Shattenkirk of old when he was with St. Louis, but I don't think he's that bad. If you could get him for one or two years at two to three million dollars, I would take it. I think the Ducks right now, when you look at the right side, the fact that they have to push Cam Fowler over there, it's only Josh Mance, and then after that, it's Hackenpah and Kirby Ninholzer. There's no depth whatsoever on that right side. So bringing in Shattenkirk, I think, makes this team a little bit better, and he gives you pretty much the exact same style of play and output to what Brandon Montu was bringing you. He would be anti-bargain Bob, though, and that's, that's the problem. I, 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 I like the idea. Get him <laughs> yeah, for cheap yeah, on a one- or two-year deal, but that's not a blue light special, man. That's not a 700k yeah. defenseman from Europe. I mean, yeah, the second the second you put a, a, a M after the number, Bob Murray's out. I mean, there, there's got to be a, there's got to be a K next to that. Otherwise, it's unless not you're really 35 but, past your prime. <laughs> unless you're 35. When was the when was the last time we had a, a stretch passer on the duck uh, on the ducks? A high percentage, you know, a guy who is well above the average and and stretch passing on the duck. Shattenkirk is in per 60 he's about 0.92 uh, stretch passes per game and the NHL average is 0.36 he's he's in like the 96 percentile for stretch passes so he's one of the top guys in in the NHL when it comes to executing and attempting stretch passes in the game the Ducks really haven't had a guy like that I mean it could work it it honestly could work he could be a guy who could play on power play too uh, and a right shot Help to that because it's always nice to have a we lefty don't have and a, a right quarterback on this power play anymore. I mean, and Bob Getz Murray is the closest thing we can too. see to that. I would love Shattenkirk and the stretch pass, the stretch pass uh, stat you're throwing out there. I do like that because with a with a group of young fast players, stretching the ice is key exactly. to those getting those guys in full stride. You see it all across the NHL. Uh, when you can stretch I, the ice like that, you're going to put your players in a position to beat defenders through the blue line. For the right I price. Want, I, yeah. I just wonder if that's like going to be a Ducks style is to look for that. Like I could see like like certain players are good at stretch passes because the way they create their offense and the way their players move, that facilitates them making longer passes, great long outlet passes that tend to work. Whereas other teams maybe play a more conservative style on that breakout 
and you can look at their number. Oh, he doesn't really do a whole lot. He's not really good at the Don't be fooled breakdowns. by the Carlisle system of going along the wall for a zone entry and then throwing the puck at center ice. I mean, that's what they I'm did just, all year last year. Hit the blue line, yeah. throw to the middle. Hit the blue line, well, throw I, to the middle. The, There's well, no that's move. what I'm saying is, like, I, you know, I'd be interested to see, you know, because a Montour didn't work out under a Carlisle regime or, you know, system. So even, like, having Montour here might work out. I, I'm thinking maybe some of the players that we already have are going to be a little bit more prone to making those good outlet passes that we haven't seen in the last three years because it's been such a clog in the the middle and how we break out and how we actually attack the offensive zone you're right so, because you saw last year like as you mentioned earlier uh earlier today is um the way the team played under under uh, bob murray was on the bench i mean you saw how often did we see hampus lindholm drive oh, the net in the last yeah. 20 games of the season that's a fowler making like you know 60 80 foot passes trying to get it down there i mean just things that you know normally it was like you know hey let's let's all let's try and figure out how we're going to get out of here it seemed more backward passing than forward passing. oh god and then no forward and, would come back to help the defense the defense yeah, is sitting so there just, behind the blue like, line going, who am i giving the puck to yeah so i'm not opposed to it i just i, I think that we could still possibly have this because i think we have gifted passers on defense that could also do what Shattenkirk does. Won't hurt to add depth though on that right side. That's... I would not disagree with that. Yeah, at all. and and I don't think you're you're bringing him in to center the player like the style around him so that he's always looking for stretch passes. He's just one of the only guys the Ducks would have that are capable of doing that effectively, which is not a bad thing to have when you have him on the ice. And like Pat said, you've got young fast forwards who are looking to get up the ice and Andre Kasher and Sam Steele and Max Jones, Troy Terry, Ricard Raquel. Like I think that would be beneficial. We've seen Getzlaff try that on a lot of occasions when he's in his he own zone. Back. He's, he's probably he's the best the stress passer on the Ducks. <laughs> yeah, and and <laughs> again, you're not bringing in you're not bringing in Shatker just for stretch passing, and you're not bringing him in, in, in yeah. to become a Stanley Cup contender. You're bringing him in because he's what the Ducks don't have right now, and they have no depth whatsoever on the right side. When you look at it, it's just it, it honestly it's just Josh Manson, really. Like it goes from Josh Manson to Corbinian Holzer. There's nothing there. And then Cam Fowler is being pushed over to the right side, or Brandon Gooley is being pushed over to the right side. And if you play two lefties on the the bottom pairing, then you've got maybe Del Zotto or Larson or somebody else moving to the right side as well. So I just think I just think it makes too much sense for the Ducks. You've got a righty that you can bring in with no depth right now. He fills a hole on that blue line that you don't have anything you haven't had since last year when you had Brandon Montour. And if you get him for cheap for one year. It's a prove me season for him, and you know if if he goes off and gets a bigger contract after that, so be it. You're not, you know, he's 30 years old. You're not looking to keep him around for a long period of time, but it helps the Ducks at least fill a need for this season. Where if you know they they're gonna want to do well. You look at all the players' comments. You look at Dallas Eagles. They want to be a good team this year. They want to compete for a playoff spot, and you know Shattenkirk fills that need for them. Drinking game um, next, Bucks and Brews. Anyone who says Dallas Eakins rather than Aikens has to take uh, a shot. Because I heard Eddie, Eddie just say it. Eddie just yeah, said okay, Eakins. Damn it. I was like, yes, right. that's our drinking game this year. <laughs> right, well, well, for Eddie, it'll be a shot of water. And we'll keep track of it. Yeah. We'll have people help us keep track of it <laughs> during post game. So it like adds up until you hit pucks and brews. It's going to be so good. Um, oh. Yes, bring Shattenkirk. We need that right side depth. I don't, I don't have a problem with it whatsoever. I think we're all on board yeah. with it. Speaking of contracts, though, John Gibson might have the best contract in the NHL for goaltenders considering how good he is. 
we just saw Vasilevsky and Bobrovsky get gigantic metric tons of cash dumped at the front lawn of their house uh, for not being as good as John Gibson. So as much crap as we like to give Bob Murray, uh, you know, for his, his mistakes in bringing in older players, he's done a really good job of getting steals out of contracts. I mean, Ricard Raquel is the first one that pops to mind, but now looking at the goalie, uh, you know, the goalie environment in the NHL, Gibby's got a steal. I mean, making under $7 million is pretty incredible for a guy who should have won the Vesna on a walk uh, last, uh, this most recent spring. I'll agree with some of that. Um, Where yeah. are you getting this in your head that, that Gibby is, <laughs> is not a steal of a contract, but these guys are going to no, pay no, $10 is, million it was, it was a year? No, the Vesna, the Vesna walk that, that threw me off there for he a second. He was insanely... Like, for two-thirds of the season, I 100% agree with you. He still should have won in a walk. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and I wouldn't really even fault him for the, the last third of the season, mostly because he had to do he had to do Vesna-worthy work in the first two-thirds solidly above everybody else even to be noticed and by that point he was exhausted his so, goals his goals his goals above uh, uh saved above average is still higher so, than everyone else so it's like yeah, how do you right. fault that guy for any of that he uh, still should walk he, away with the best yeah. that, the funny the, the funny part is that like a lot of teams are like oh let's get into the, the advanced or fancy stats on the players but then when it comes to goalies like well what's his goals against uh, what's the save percentage? How many games did he win? Shout out? Yeah, how many wins? Oh, oh, he didn't have 52 wins? Did you give me the four? I know how good he did is. Did you just okay? do the Drake meme? It's like, <laughs> what? He did the Drake meme. It was like, a goal saved above average. And it's like, wins? <laughs> it's a, it's a, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't need more information. Don't need any more. Just those four. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, you know, as, as far as goaltending goes, I gibson's top five in my opinion um and he's right up there too there's a lot of good talent i think vasileski is also one of those players who's in the top five in my opinion Plays in the now best he may not hockey. have overwhelming technique or talent as as well as gibson but his size makes up for it and so at the end of the day even if he's not necessarily at that you know, tech, technical standpoint, he makes up for it in other ways and becomes a good goalie. Brabovsky is also, in my opinion, one of those goalies that can take a Columbus team and make them a playoff team where it was never really possible. Without him, Columbus is never a playoff team. They're getting paid because you have to have that, and uh, the teams that paid him needed what they had. I mean, if they don't have that, then they're not competitive. They're not going anywhere. So I understand that they got paid Gibson uh, is, in my opinion, right up there with them. And at the price we got him, it's fabulous for the Ducks. So that contract had looked good to me at the beginning. It looks good now. It'll look good later. It's it's all good from beginning to end. We have to make our own meme, by the way. Sorry, Eddie. We have to make our own meme. We yeah, got to do that. Definitely. It's like it's like goals saved above average. Nah. Just give it for just, wins. I, I just don't need all yeah. I want the wins. Bring the, the wins. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> How many shutouts? All right, all right, all right. Don't start throwing uh, saved above uh, average. I, I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> That's GMs. I was impersonating GMs. Man, it, it's just it. I, I think the one reason when you look at Bobrovsky, what he the, the contract he got ten million per season, and Vasilevsky nine and a half. A big reason both of those guys got paid. Bobrovsky has two Vesnas. Vasilevsky has one. You, you look in a contract discussion, that's going to come up, and that's going to equal to an increased pay rate. And if John Gibson had won a Vesna this year or last year, I'm sure 
when his contract came up, he would have got paid around the same amount of money just because that raises the value so much. But when you look at the fact he's only making 6.4, he's still the seventh highest paid goaltender in the league, which is insane. Because if you looked at that on the player side, 6.4 million is probably what somewhere in 40 or 50 range in, in how much players are getting paid. But uh, Carey Price, that's a, that's a third line winger. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Kevin Kevin Hayes makes more. Carey uh, Price, Bobrovsky, Lundqvist, Vasilevsky, Tuka Rask, and Marc-Andre Fleury all make more money than John Gibson. And the guys who make close to the same amount of money as Timur Hellebuck, Holtby, Crawford, Corey Schneider, Jonathan Quick, Martin Jones, and uh, Pekka Rinne. And Pekka Rinne makes $5 million. So, Honestly, I, I don't think you can really argue with any other guy there. Like, John Gibson has to have the best contract for goaltenders in the league. I can't argue for any other guy. Maybe Frederick Anderson making $5 million per season. Uh, you can put in that discussion of Ben Bishop yeah, making 4.9 4. as well. That that can throw in there. But, you know, Jordan Bennington just got paid 4.4. 4. makes $2 million less than John Gibson for having one good season. You know, the, the fact that John Gibson has been good pretty much since the start of his career, he's since, since, statistically one of the best goaltenders in the league and he only makes 6.4 million dollars so the, this is huge for the ducks going forward when you look at trying to compete again with john gibson in the crease they're not looking at a guy making 10 9 8 million dollars that's going to restrict them from going out and improving other areas so i mean john gibson is really the only superstar that the ducks have on their roster right now and the fact that you're able to lock him down for only oh, just over six million dollars is is pretty crazy for them so does that mean we're all agreeing Bob Murray is good at some contracts? Yes. Uh, if you didn't yes, say that, yes and no. That's weird. I thought that would hurt a lot more for you, Pat, saying yes like uh, that. It, it depends on who he's signing. <laughs> and or it, when uh, he did it. Yeah. When he, when I he think goes, he learned his lessons. I, has he, though? I mean. <laughs> does he get credit, though? Like, does he get credit for this? Because when you look at the guy, like Carey Price, Vesna winner. Bobrovsky's a Vesna winner. Uh, Vasilevsky's a Vesna winner. These are all the guys. That, that's the only way I feel like if you're a goaltender, you get paid $10, 9 $8 million. You know, Henrik Lundqvist and, and Tuka Rasker. Tuka Rasker is only six hundred k more than uh, than John Gibson. Same with Marc-Andre Fleury. So it's like John Gibson is, is a highly paid goaltender, but it's the Vesna, I feel like, that takes you to that other category. Hopefully, yeah. I believe, signed his contract before he got a Vesna. You look at what Connor Hallebrook signed. For having one or two good seasons with Winnipeg, it was six point one million dollars. So that's, I guess, the going rate for a very good goaltender who just hasn't won the Vesna is around five or six million dollars. So I, I don't know if it's credit to Bur- to Bob Murray as much because, like you said, just like for the Vesna, where goals saved above average and and numbers like the you know the analytics side of it for goaltenders don't come into the equation as much as they do for players. It's all about wins and save percentage and what you've done for the team and if you've won personal awards. I feel like that just as much goes into contract discussions for goaltenders as it does for major awards. That's because no one understands goaltending. Would you guys literally pay seventy million dollars for Sergei Bobrovsky? Uh, yeah, I have seventy million. I mean, if I, you're, I would, if you're, if you're, if you're a GM, out of my house for a you while. Ass. <laughs> would you pay? Would you pay Vasilevsky nine and a half per season? Yes, I would definitely pay him over Sergei Bobrovsky. Yeah, I mean, Bob uh, is it depends, depends on the depends on the length of the contract. You said seven years, right, for Bobrovsky? Yeah, he's thirty years old. I think Vasilevsky got eight. In right? fact, he turns thirty-one before the season starts. Yeah, it, this, it this might... contract's going to look like shit in about three years. Well, Vasilevsky uh, will be thirty-three at the end of his deal. 
It's not bad. If, if you're he tamping, ended his deals, not bad. Yeah. You're getting if all you're his tamping, prime at nine and a half. You know the cap's going to go win. up. It's going to happen. Let me put, put it this way. If Florida had to pay Bravovsky that and give him that length of the contract because he was going to get possibly that with a lower Oof. years, and Oof. they needed a goalie. They so had a goalie money. retiring. They had goalies with they were getting rid of. They had no nothing. move until the last two years. That's My what you got to pay for for God. the top goalie. Yeah, but the, the, top the, goalie. the problem is, the like, we had, we had this argument – about Bobrovsky when it first went down with Florida. And you just drafted Spencer Knight, and you have a young team. You're in no rush, and you go out and you sign Bobrovsky for seven years. Like, it, that move made no sense for them. And honestly, like, Vasilevsky, I'd probably pay him nine and a half for the amount of time they did. But I, I find it hard. You know, I need to see him in a position like John Gibson, not on a, a super all-star team where you have Kucherov and Point and Stamkos and Hedman and, and just, like, a ridiculous team that – was almost unstoppable last season in the run that they had. Until they played Columbus. He was, yeah. <laughs> like he, he's good. There's no yeah. question about it. He's good, and he's probably a top five goaltender in this league. But how how good is he, and how good is that team? How much does that team influence how good he is? That That's what I want to say. I, again, I think he's a great goaltender. I think he's an excellent goaltender, but... I, I don't think he is the number one goaltender, and I and I, I again I, I think John Gibson, when you look at it and everything's all said and done, I think he's a better goaltender than Andre Vasilevsky. Let's uh, let's move on here. Let's talk about breakout candidates are coming. Uh, Ian Ian Tulloch from the Athletic talked about Andre Kasha being his number one player poised for a breakout year. Kasha also um, is only twenty three years old. By the way, guys, he's got two years left on his deal where he's only making. I think he's making less than $3 million a season. It's like $2.6 million. Uh, he was second in the league in five-on-five five shot attempts per 60. Uh, only Brendan Gallagher had more than him. And this kid just has to remain healthy for him to be a star here in Anaheim. He, he's probably the best right wing we have on this team, in my opinion, uh, for a pure offensive player. And I'm excited for this season, too, as long as uh, McDermott doesn't come across the middle elbow him in the head in preseason. I think we'll be good to go. Yeah, I, I've been waiting for the Kasha to the Kasha effect that kind of happened, where he just does what he needs to do because it doesn't matter if he plays the fourth line, third line, second line, or first line, and who he plays with, he generates offense, he generates shots, and he generates momentum. Uh, he's a, a crazy fun person to to watch play the game, and uh, and what I call a, a game breaker, just someone that doesn't need anybody to make him better. He is just that good. His problem is the limited time he's had because he's been young under a Carlisle system. It takes a while to, to earn that trust to try and move back up. Uh, and then his injuries. I mean, he's got a lot of concussions already for a 23-year-old, and we just hope it's not going to be one of those things that just keeps happening and keeps limiting his ability because he's got the talent to do it, and he can play in this league at a very high level. I think – We'll get a really good idea this year. Uh, you know, I think he gets a real good shot at playing on the top line because of how good he is, and um, the fact that there, you know, there is no more Corey Perry. Kind of almost, you know. Did that you like blocker. that in the Athletic article that that side by side comparison? Like that literally should uh, have been the reason why they bought Corey Perry out. They're like, yeah, look who you're holding back. Holding her back. <laughs> So I mean, so this this guy should be on there, and this is this it, it should be a fun season to watch. But I just back of my mind is like he's he's one good hit away from he's missing thirty games again, and then it's it's a moot point. Or taking a face off and ripping his shoulder out. 
that was yeah, the weirdest just injury like, of the year. Just some guys, man. I don't know. <laughs> Increased minutes for him, hopefully, should do wonders. Yeah, right? he only averaged kids 18 minutes a night. He needs 18 minutes a night. Exactly. He he averaged, I think, like 15, or oh, just over 15 minutes last year. If he was 17 or 18 minutes a night, that's two extra minutes he's on the ice. And like, second in the league in 5v5 five, five five shot attempts per 60. Only, like you said, Brandon Gallagher was the only one better than them. He had 21.7 shot, uh, 5v5 shot attempts per 60. Kasha did. And you look at this top 10. Like, not only is it is it surprising that he is number two, but having Gallagher number one, even though Gallagher scored 33 goals, you think, oh, well, how elite is this list if Brandon Gallagher is number one? You have Kasha two. You have Timo Meyer who scored 30 goals in number three. Philip Forsberg, number four, scored 28 goals. Arvidsson, who had like 24 goals in 50 games, was number five. Evander Kane with 30 goals was number six. Matthews was on there as well with 37 goals. Ovechkin with 51 was on there. The last guy on there was Tarasenko with 33 goals. The only guy on there who wasn't on pace for over 30 goals was Ryan Donato in Minnesota, who had four goals in, I think, in 11 games. And uh, he still had a pretty good season with Minnesota after getting moved over there from Boston. Like, that's some elite company when you think Ovechkin, Matthews, Tarasenko, Meyer, Kane, Gallagher, Forsberg, Arvidsson. That's the company that Andre Kasha was keeping last season and, of course, only playing 30 games and getting injured. He still had 11 goals last year. If he can stay healthy for 70, 80 games this year and still keep up that, that pace and shot attempts, there's no question he'll score 25, 30 goals. Like that, that's the that's the type of company he's keeping. If he does that, you think this guy's a former seventh round pick playing now he's gonna play seventeen and minutes a night. And he did it all under Randy Carlisle, guys. <laughs> yeah, I and like I, a good system. <laughs> I'd be surprised to see how many minutes a night all those guys I I talked about as well. How how much they played per night? Because I'm assuming five on five. You know, and then you look at it, it was probably about 16, 17 minutes a night, and they got a lot of power play one time. That is looking like what Andre Cash is going to get this year. If, I mean, imagine if he plays with Getzlaff and Raquel, five on five for most of the time, then gets power play one time with Raquel and Getzlaff, you would assume, and maybe, you know, Cam Fowler, Kevin Schottenkirk, if they, if they bring <laughs> him in. And if he's the trigger man on that power play, like, there is some high-profile potential for Andre Kasha this year if he can just stay healthy. like the, the, That's the big if for him. If he can stay healthy, he's a guaranteed 20, 25 goals, and the ceiling for 30, 35 even. Like I know it's, it we might be overhyping him a bit, but that's the type of pace he was on last year. So there, there is... You know, it's not like we're blowing smoke here. Like, there's a potential that he could be a 30-plus goal scorer next year. They need I it. Think a good, uh, yeah, I think a good comparison would be Arvidsson. Uh, it's a similar height, uh, style of play, uh, but they're they're both lethal when they they need to be and when they can't be. And was again dynamic, where all of a sudden they just make a play and you're like, whoa. Look at that move. That was awesome. That was pretty cool. I didn't know he had that, but they do it on a consistent basis, and that's a, a dynamic player that you you don't necessarily get all the time. But when you see it, you recognize it. But you just can't put your finger on why it's good. It just is. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Arvidsson is a. If you're looking for a comparison that has you know, maybe a little bit more NHL experience and what they've done, Arvidsson is a very good, uh, you know, um, comparison. I was to, thinking uh, him or Timo Meyer. I think he played. I think Timo Meyer is a great comparison. Too. And they're too, they're both sure. in there. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about this man. Uh, he's, I've, I haven't bought a player jersey since Ryan Getzloff. I knew that he was never going anywhere, so I have a Getzloff jersey. <laughs> I have a Korea jersey because he's certainly not playing ever again. So I know that's yeah. safe. <laughs> safe. I'm torn. Like, 
I want to see Kasha get re-signed before I even think about it, but I love that kid, man. I would totally buy that jersey. He's a great player on this team, and I really hope that he's able to stay healthy and show his full potential because that's really going to be helpful for the Ducks as they transition in to this new era of Aikens. Um, so let's let's go back to the prospects. Uh, Scott Wheeler, who was kind enough to spend his time with us on the show, uh, us meaning Eddie. Eddie did a really great interview oh. with Scott Wheeler yeah. from The Athletic. <laughs> Um, he came on and talked about his 50 prospects in the NHL, uh, pissed off a lot of Ducks fans, and I'm sure other teams had uh, had you know some upset moments too. But that's just part of the deal. I mean, it, these guys get, are going in and doing their own evaluation. You can't please everybody all the time. Um, so looking at the Ducks, everyone only – they didn't see that they had three people, three players in the top 50. They just saw Maxime Comtois was missing on the list. Uh-huh. <laughs> Everyone's pissed about that. But uh, we'll get to him in a minute. I want to talk about Trevor Zegras. Um, we don't need to go full in depth on here because that, that interview was great. But uh, looking at this athletic article, oh, is someone getting arrested at your house? Are you getting arrested, Eddie? Oh, is Eddie is that getting the arrested? Bounty? I don't know. Where is it? It's not my end. It wasn't my house. No, it was okay. my end. Oh, the Mounties after you, buddy. Dude, a, a moose with a uh, a moose with a siren attached to him is rolling up to Eddie's house. Um, Just making sure everyone's got maple syrup. Yeah. Whoa, we have to add. So if we're having if we're having Aikens and Eakins as a game, we have to have Zegris and Zegris as a, as a game as well because it's Zegris, it's Trevor Trevor Zegris and Dallas Aikens. And we're going to say we can only drink so much, Eddie. Eddie. Oof. <laughs> a ton of times this year. That's going to be brutal. It's going to be fun. We can That's play that awesome. game. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, let's talk about him. Uh, it's noted that, uh, you know, Wheeler had said that he's probably among the highest in the class with ceiling. Like he, and the reason being is because he has such offensive talent coming in from this draft. I mean, his playmaking ability is through the roof. The guy is, the kid is just filthy. He, he made some moves the other day. Um, is it what was it? Is it world not world juniors? What's going on? World right junior, now? It, it's the world junior summer showcase. Summer showcase, yeah. He, he's filthy. The guy makes ridiculous plays between the legs, able to find players off the rush. Um, I can't Stable wait for him to away, get to Anaheim, yeah. but with with all that talent comes risk, right? And that's that's part of the reason why some people are not extra hyped on him. Not that he's not good, but they're more or less worried about um, the riskiness of his style of play and if it's going to fit on an NHL team. But uh, how do you guys take that, him being at 29 uh, in the article here? Being at 29, like being at 29 as the 29th best prospect in the entire league is is not bad. No. Right? Like I think I think when you people are looking at the recency of him going ninth overall in this year's draft and forgetting, like this it kind of incorporates the last three or four drafts when you look at prospects. Like yep. if you took all the guys who went, you know, 9, 9, 9, and 9 – Right, that's thirty six guys. Like he is in that group with those guys, and obviously those guys who've fallen out and gone above there. But that's where you would expect him to be is somewhere in the top thirty six. When you look at the prospects from the last four drafts, the fact that he's number twenty number twenty nine is nothing to to cry about. Like it's it's a great spot for him, and I think there is potential, like Scott said on the podcast, to move up and be better than the twenty nine spot just because of the offensive ability and the potential that he has. But there's risk. He's a little bit small. He's smaller than a lot of guys who've come out of that program. Just not not in height, but in just in size. Uh, and he's, that's why going to the college route for him is, is such a good route for him that he's going to be able to build up some muscle and, and physically play against guys who are a lot older than him. So I think that's going to be a huge benefit for him. 
but he's a great player. And like like you said, you look at the, the highlights for him, not just last year, but so far recently in the World Junior Summer Showcase, the offensive potential he has is, is extremely exciting. It's something we haven't seen in Anaheim in a long time. And, and I think he would be a lot higher if he was you know, a bigger guy or there was a little bit le- less risk to his game that he played a little bit safer and showed flashes of, of that brilliance or, or maybe some consistency in that fact. But I think when all is said and done, there are going to be guys who were ranked ahead of them in this list that he'll eventually be better than as a prospect, but you have to calculate risk when you're ranking these guys. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is going to be our our number one center at at some point, you know, down the road if he, he sticks with the organization, uh, no doubt in my mind. Uh, yeah, like three maybe to four small. seasons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a little while. Like, like Eddie said, you're going to have to pack on a little bit of, of meat there. But I mean, it's it's a playmaking ability that he has, a lot like Ryan Getzloff, but I would say a faster, quicker, more dynamic, and creative. It's uh, that new wave that, in NHL. It's, yeah, you don't and, need and the whole team body in the corner. I, yeah, that's where it kind of fits in. So where you know, you know, hey, give him a, you know a year or two to bulk on at least a little bit of mass. So he's not getting bowled over. You know, that sort of deal. Other than that, he can be, you know, slippery and hard to control and contain. And especially if his vision and his playmaking ability is there, you know, not necessarily score every goal or every shot he takes, but neither is Ryan Getzloff and he's, you know, a future Hall of Famer. I mean, so I, I liken him a lot to Ryan Getzloff, just minus the size, but that actually works in the new NHL. So I'm, I'm happy with where he's at. and got to see what he's going to do over the next couple of years as he develops and becomes an even better prospect. He starts climbing that list, in my opinion. He's a lot like Matt Barzell and the, yeah. the just how shifty and creative he is. Uh, but I think he's a better passer than Matt Barzell is and not to say Matt Barzell is a bad passer. But uh, I just I just think he's extremely talented. And Barzell came into the league as a as a skinny, lanky kid as well, uh, and he did. Caught him I mean, he did more. <laughs> he did, yeah, and he did he did more than fine with look with at the Elias Patterson. And, yeah, exactly. And and Patterson's a bit different in, in just the you know his pure goal scoring ability. But yeah, Patterson is is one of the lankiest, skinniest kids I've ever seen to come into the NHL at that age. And, and he did perfectly fine. Uh, he got injured a couple times, but uh, I thought he was just going to be one hit and done the way he looked coming into the NHL. So, you know, Zegras, fuck, there I go. Trevor Zegras could come in uh, at the end of this year. Uh, he could come in at the end of this year. And like he said, he might, you know, one, one and done in college and come play the last couple of games of the season, depending on how far uh, Boston University goes, and surprise a lot of people. And he could start next year with the Ducks and have that type of impact, that type of Matt Barzell 50, 60, 70-point impact in his first season. That's a reach, and that that's you know a lot of optimism there. But I, I don't think it's a stretch to say in two or three years he could be this team's number one point producer. Like that, That's just the ability he has if he can reach that ceiling. I agree, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited yeah. for this kid to come here. Sorry, Jay. I was, I was... No, 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 no. It's all right. We've already. Yeah, just excited We're... for him to come here. I, I think he can <laughs> yeah. definitely take that role, and he's not going to be taking it away from anybody. Getzloff's going to be at the you know at the end of his career. Uh, Adam Henrique will see where he's at, but I still think you want to put that more dynamic forward and you know push the older guys to the bottom of the depth chart until they finish it out. I mean, that's not a slight on those guys. It's just the natural progression of the game and the way these players are playing in the league nowadays. And it depends if he can come in and carry the, you know, the top 1C role, but I don't see why he can't. I mean, this kid it was drafted ninth overall for a reason and a highly touted prospect at that. 
Um, and also thanks to him for coming on the show as well. We interviewed him a few weeks ago. So that was, you know, we've been very lucky to have those interviews. This Eddie called interview season. So if you want to yeah. check those out, we have an interview with Scott Wheeler. <laughs> uh, we just put out one for Rich Hammond. And then if you want to go back and check out, uh, I'm going to misspell, I'm going to miss say it, uh, Zegris, right? They get it right. Yeah. Oh, I got it right. I don't have to drink today. Sweet. <laughs> Until later when Jason comes over. Uh, Troy Terry at 44. Um, how do you guys? I like that. I mean, he's a strong. He's a to me, he's a strong second line player. Right? I mean, he's and he would be an outstanding third line guy if you have someone in front of him. But he's one of those guys that could play in the second line without a problem at all. Um, he's not ultra flashy, but uh, I mean, as Scott Wheeler said, he's he's a strong player. That's he. How did he describe it? And he was something along the lines of uh, he doesn't do anything exceptional, but he's just good. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He said that about Troy Terry and Sam Steele, where they're they just they're just good players all around. Like they don't do anything great, but they're good at pretty much everything. They're good in their own zone. They're uh, they're offensively gifted in the way that they can produce in a middle six role. They just don't drive play on a line. They're not an elite player. They're not a top line guy. If you're a top line guy, generally you have to drive play. And Troy Terry isn't going to be that, but there's nothing wrong with that. If you look at the fact, I think, what they drafted him in the fifth round, and you're going to get this guy who could be a 40-50 point producer in a middle six role, that's that's more than you could hope for in a fifth round pick. And we were just talking about Andre Cash, who was a seventh round pick, so testament to the Ducks drafting, getting these types of players. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm I'm far more optimistic about how Troy Terry is, you know, towards the end of this season than he was at the beginning of this season i was Oof. i was hearing about troy terry troy terry and then i, I kept seeing him play and i'm like this kid's not ready this kid's this either either the talent's not there or there's a lot of development that needs to happen and then he spends a short little time in and the ahl comes back and it's a completely different player and it's one that's not afraid it's not one you know that uh, shied away from from taking chances on the offensive zone i'd be more uh you know, interested to see what he does under the new coaching staff and one that he's familiar with and thrived under. So I think if he's given a little bit more freedom to be creative, and especially if he starts playing in the top two, maybe even top three, even if he plays with like younger players and he plays with Sam Steele or Jones, that creativity may really kind of kick in and you can see him put up some serious goals because that's really kind of what they, they brought him for was to kind of get that depth scoring. I think, I think he can he's going to be a 20-goal scorer. Uh, I think that's yeah, that's what he's, he's going to be in his NHL career as a 20-goal guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you need those in your lineup for one sure. way or the other. It's hard to buy 20 goals in today's NHL. It's, it's <laughs> tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, if you look at the future of the right side for the Ducks, if you get Andre Kasher, who could be anywhere from 20 to 30, if you've got Silverberg, who's good for over 20 per season, if you've got Troy Terry, who could be a consistent 20 goal scorer, that's three guys in your top nine that are on the right side that are 20 goal scorers. Like, that is not a bad situation to be in. No. Uh, when you look at the future of the Ducks going forward, and all three of those guys are going to be there for the next, you know, four or five years until Jakob Silverberg's new contract expires, that's pretty good. When you look at if the Ducks are going to be competitive again in the next three or four seasons, and those guys all fulfill that and get to being twenty goal scorers and impact goal scorers, that's a pretty good spot to be in. I, I know that some people rubbed them the wrong way when uh, Wheeler was talking about Sam Steele. They were like, "There's nothing special about him." And what people need to understand about that is. Special means you're Connor McDavid, you're you're Kucherov, uh, you're Sidney Crosby, exactly. You're the elite class. You don't have to be special to be a good player in the NHL. You you don't need to have that. Not not every team has those guys. The Ducks don't have that guy uh, on their roster right now unless you're looking in net. Uh, But Sam Steele, 
I'll take him all day as a second C. You need that guy. Uh, you need yeah. someone to come in and and, uh, and and dominate on a second line. And I think that I think both these guys are going to be dominant second line players. And that's a great thing to have because that eventually means you're one piece away from getting that elite piece. I mean, not that those are easy to get at all, but I mean, if you if you need to add that, you can maybe add that in free agency. Maybe make a little overpay for a guy who's been in the league. Uh, or maybe you draft well and get lucky. Maybe maybe uh, Zegras comes out and, and becomes that player as, as he ages into the system. So I, I like both these players. I wasn't upset at all at 44 or 47. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, just one other thing. I mean, taking into consideration, too, second-year uh, players, uh, Ryan Getzloff and Corey Perry, both first-round draft picks, they were the third made-up part of the kid line in 2007. And, you know, and they eventually became, you know, the face of the franchise for, for that generation. I mean, these guys won't necessarily get to that level. But, I mean, at this point, they kind of have that kid line thing going, and they'll eventually be that second line, and then you add in Zagris into that. I mean, this is a team that's going to be built pretty well. So I don't mind them starting at the third and saying, oh, you know, that's the highest, you know, um, you know prospect level. But the fact that we got three in the top 50 – that's 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 pretty good for any any team to have. Yeah, the thing I was most uh, I guess impressed with with Sam Steele's development is it changed a lot for what I expected from him. You look at the 130 point season he had with Regina, and I watched a lot of his play there. Not not necessarily he was bad in his own zone, but that team was just so good, and he was so dynamic offensively. You didn't really get to see a lot of the responsibility on the defensive end for him. It wasn't like he was bad at making mistakes. You just didn't see a lot of it. You just saw the offense. It was 130 points. Wait for the points. offense. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then he went back, and he, that the next year after that, he didn't have as great a season, but he went to the World Juniors with Canada and played well and played a good kind of second-line 1A, 1B role there and played good defensively. Uh, I believe they won a gold medal with Canada that year too. And then he comes in to the NHL and the AHL, and all of a sudden he just looks like a really toolsy center. You know, he Defensively, he's responsible. He can play well in his own zone. He's decent at face-offs. He doesn't get out, you know, out-muscled off the puck, which is something I didn't get to see from him before. And, yeah, the offense at that level didn't transition over, but he's still a highly creative player. And if you put him with the right guys – if he can get to the ceiling where he's normally a 40, 50 point guy, if you put him with some elite goal scorers or some very talented 20, 30 goal scorers, that could increase his totals. You're looking at a second line, 50, 60 point center. That's great for a player that you drafted 30th overall in the first round. If he's good on both ends and can put up 50 or 60 points in a very good year. And then you put him behind a guy like Trevor Zegras, who you hope has a, a, you know, a 80, 70, 80 point ceiling. And when you look at the potential for him, that's a, an amazing one-two punch down the middle that you could run with in the future. Then uh, this is all ifs, right? Like if they could hit yeah. that potential, if they're going to do that. But if that ends up being the case, that's pretty impressive for the Ducks to put those two together. What about uh, Maxim Comtois being left off? It's Kinda not see, upsetting gotta, to me. I don't think he's had enough enough exactly. uh, enough Exposure. playing time. To, to, yeah, to yeah, any yeah. Sort of I, expectation right now. <laughs> I'd want to see more. He 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 didn't disappoint in no. uh, the ten games that he played. You know, it was it was a nice little surprise. I mean, oh well, look at this kid. You know, but uh, given the way that the contracts ends up having to work out, especially with the uh, the QMJL, uh, he had to end up going back there. And really, he shouldn't be in that league. And of course, he's going to dominate. He's uh, older. He's bigger, and he's playing against younger, smaller kids. Uh, so I'm not opposed to it. I'd want to see a little bit more where he's going to 
have the same or somewhat same level of competition, which is why I'm not opposed to him necessarily starting in the AHL, see where he gets to, let him see if, if he's dominating that, then, you know, hey, pop him up. But, you know, if, if it's like, oh, okay, I'm playing against Matt, now it's a little bit different. Uh, but, I mean, he showed, you know, really, you know, he, he played really well in the playoffs in the AHL. So, you know, I would say he's what, 51. Well, I mean, he's, he's easily Mario Lemieux. I mean, he scored a goal on his first oh, yeah, shift on his first shot, yeah, just like Mario Lemieux did back uh, in the But it was against so. Martin Jones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure Martin Jones was uh, way, way, way better than the guy that uh, Lemieux scored. Yeah. Let's just be real about that one, too. Well, not according to you, but okay. <laughs> Jones is not a good goalie. Uh, that's, that's a conversation for a, a Patreon Another podcast. Day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Maxim Comtois was was a guy I, I don't want to say I agreed with being left off, but I can understand it. And like, this is people to realize this is top 50 prospects in the entire NHL among 31 teams. And being at 51 is not bad. It doesn't mean you're not a good player. It doesn't mean Maxim Kunt was not going to be a good player. If he's the 51st best prospect in the NHL right now, like a lot of these guys on this list are projected top six forwards or top four defensemen. And Maxim Comtois is still in that argument. And even Scott Wheeler said on the podcast that he would take arguments all day for including Comtois anywhere from 40 to 50 and, and taking a guy off the list there. So I think just when you look at the fact that some of these guys that he had in the list had played in, in more competitive leagues and had maybe either a little bit more NHL experience or just developed, you know, developed a little bit quicker than Comtois has. I think Comtois is a little bit still raw. He dominated the QMJHL, was one of the best players there, and that's why he's in consideration for the top 50. But a lot of these guys above him have done a little bit more than that or dominated a little bit better leagues. And yes, Comtois did well, but it was 10 games. You know, we've seen players start off their careers amazing in their first 10 games and nothing's come from it. And obviously we don't hope that's the case for Maxim Comtois, but it's hard to include him in that top 50 or in even like anywhere above the top 40 when that's all you're going off of is a 10-game sample size in the NHL, a handful of games in the AHL during the conditioning stint and dominating two seasons in the QMJHL. It's just not enough for me to say that he should be in the the top 50. And, and you know, a lot of people just are, are overhyped on what he did in the beginning of the season, and I think that's why a lot of Ducks fans were upset that he wasn't going to be there. He still could be their best prospect when you, you look at everything before this year's draft and Trevor Zegers. He could potentially be better than Sam Steele or Max Jones or Troy Terry, but he doesn't exactly have the resume to prove that yet, and I think that's why you can't put him above Troy Terry or Sam Steele, who spent... 30-plus games in the NHL last year and played significant time in the AHL. They just have more experience than he does at that point. Time will tell. Yeah, that's all yeah. we can say about it is time will tell. We have one more quick thing here before we get to the Will Francis interview. Um, the Ducks' odds were put up uh, by a gentleman named Jeff <laughs> Sherman at Golf Odds, which is pretty funny, by the way. Right. But their odds are at 80.5 uh, points for the season, would make them the fourth-worst team in the league. Um, do you guys think they go uh, above that this year? Yeah. Yeah, well, they had 80 points last year, so it would be basically the same type of season uh, they had last year. And I think the only teams he had worse than them were like L.A., uh, Ottawa, and uh, I can't remember the other team, maybe Buffalo. But it was L.A. and Ottawa on another team, but the only teams he had worse than the Ducks, I, I think Detroit it was the other one. Possible. 
I'd, well, I'd, I'd say Vancouver's were. I mean, there's there's a handful of teams that we we beat this year. <laughs> that, that we, in my opinion, yeah. It, last year is just like if you're going off of last year's numbers, two thirds of that you you just completely tarnished or tainted your your reasoning behind it. If you look at last year and try and evaluate what last year did versus what this year is, you're you're pulling it straight. You're going off of bad intel. Yeah, I, I think I can understand where they're coming from, though. If you look at it from you know the outside looking in, the Ducks did not add anybody significant. They didn't, you know, they lost Corey Perry, and yeah, they have a new coach coming in. But you're looking at it from the outside, saying, well, they didn't bring anybody in. The odds are pretty much close to the same one what they did last year. They've got about the same roster. But then when you you're more in tune with the Ducks roster and you look at the fact they've got a lot of young players coming into the lineup that are going to have second seasons that they're hopefully going to improve on. The injury situation is hopefully going to be better. Uh, you know, you add all that in and John Gibson being John Gibson, the Ducks should be higher than that you would hope maybe you know i don't want to want to say they're going to be over 90 points because that's a bit of a, a reach still i think but i think they'll be around that you know 87 88 89 90 point range and maybe more if things go well but i don't think you can put them guaranteed over 90 yet well we'll have to get to that definitely as the season gets closer uh, we'll do our full season preview and talk about that we'll make, we'll make some real wagers here we always yeah, do that, and then we forget what we wager halfway through the season, and then no one has to pay out anything. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the only wager we made was that you said uh, Kovalchuk was going to be a 30-goal scorer uh, this year. Uh, I don't remember that at all. I think I need the audio on that one to, to have any sort of clarity yeah, in this. You pull that audio, Ed. Yeah, come on. I mean, you have all the time <laughs> of the world right now, my friend. Um, so with that, let's get to Will Francis. He was the Ducks' sixth-round pick this last season. Uh, he play, He was playing in the USHL with the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders. Uh, six foot seven defender, great kid. Thanks for coming on the show, and uh, you guys will like it. All right, welcome back to the Forever Mighty Podcast. We've got another special guest, Anaheim Ducks sixth round draft pick, Will Francis. How's it going, Will? Good. How are you guys? Not too bad. I mean, it's been a bit of a crazy couple months for you, right? I mean, how's everything been since the draft? Have you had any time to unwind at all? Yeah, it's definitely been a. Uh a whirlwind of the past couple months with the season ending in May there and uh, the draft in the next month in June. So, yeah, I just had a good uh, few days off for the 4th of July. I spent some good time with family and friends. And, uh, now it's time to get back to training. Right, yeah, you got, you got the season coming up. You've probably been asked this question a million times already at the draft with all the media and everything, but take us through that moment when you found out you were picked by the Ducks and all the emotions that you were going through. Yeah, um, really, Anaheim wasn't really a team that I thought was going to take me. And then I, well, while I was sitting there and heard my name called, it was kind of a, it was a, definitely an ecstatic feeling. Did you have any contact with the Ducks before, or was it just, uh, you know, you just didn't have any idea? Did you have, like, any feeling that maybe a different team was going to take you? or? Yeah, I, uh, I had a couple uh, interviews with the Ducks, um, but I went out to, uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs Combine and had a, uh, had a good showing there. Um, so, yeah, you know, I uh, I talked to a lot of teams, but definitely it's it's uh, it's surreal to be drafted by the Ducks and be in the organization that I'm in. Now that you've had that time to reflect and sit back, I mean, how how hectic is that whole process? You know, I mean, you're waiting around and and uh, you you've talked to teams, like you said, you went to the combine. Like, how, how does that whole process work? Like, is it really crazy? Yeah, it's uh, it's not really a sense of nervousness i think it's more of a sense of anxiousness because you're kind of sitting there just waiting but in the end if you're there and you get picked everything ends up 
uh, being pretty pretty well no matter where you go. Yeah, and you bring, uh, I mean, I, we know that you're a big guy. You're, you bring a nasty side to the game. So, I mean, that's something that we're looking forward to here, right? I mean, that's something that everyone loves when they think about hockey. So that's something I know that us and Anaheim are excited about. But uh, another, just kind of, I know it's another cliche question. You've probably been asked it at least 100 times at the draft alone. But for Ducks fans who maybe haven't seen your game, I know I said it was a bit nasty, but what else do you bring to the organization here? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm kind of a two-way defenseman. Um play a complete 200 foot game reliable on my end and then also chip in some offense but um yeah uh basically very tough to play against and kind of uh, make sure guys on the other team don't want to play against me at the end of the night yeah i was just say we, we uh we heard at the draft with uh that you, you it was your first time and we've been there on vacation before probably a little bit different feel to to it this time though going there for development camp right yeah definitely i think uh for sure, a little bit of butterflies and nervousness going into uh, the uh, Great Park Ice there for the first time. So yeah, definitely a different different feel. What what was your experience like at development camp? Getting to meet all the other prospects, getting to meet a lot of the Ducks coaching staff, some of the current players. Or what you know, what was your first experience there like? Yeah, I think it was really good. I uh, I was there just trying to soak everything in and uh, kind of learn from a lot of those older guys that are there, guys who played NHL games and really see what it takes to be at that level and uh what uh, what did you think of the new facilities you guys were among some of the first people to actually get out there and experience the, the you know the whole aspect of of the new great park facility what what was it like getting to experience that yeah it was awesome i think they said uh we were the first ones to use it since it's only been there for a month and those those facilities were second to none uh we had anything and everything that we wanted and yeah, i think it's a great facility going into the future and Dallas Akins was running the, uh, well, he was running the practices for much of development camp. What did you get to any interaction specifically with him, and, and what did you kind of get an idea of what his coaching style is going to be like? Yeah, I didn't really have too much just specific one-on-one time with him, but he would come down and work with the defenseman when we'd split. But uh, yeah, I, I really got a good good vibe from Dallas, and uh, I think I think his kind of coaching style, he's gonna. Uh, rely on some younger guys at first and kind of build build that younger group into a uh, you know a, a core that he can revolve around so yeah I have, I have a really good feeling about it well we, we heard you're coming back to Cedar Rapids for the upcoming season is that correct yeah it is so to take us through your thought process there and why you think maybe it's a better decision for this upcoming season to go back to Cedar Rapids instead of jump right into the NCAA yeah, I'm uh, I'm committed to University of Minnesota Duluth, and then this last year they only lost one D, um, so I'd, I'd be in a limited role if I win. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a better decision to go back to Cedar Rapids, where I could be a top pair defenseman and uh, kind of be the uh, kind of be the first guy up on the back end there. No, that's yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? You want to be able to get your playing time in for sure. And we were reading that your coach Mark Carlson uh, utilized you as a forward occasionally in the past. It, was that what was that transition like, moving from the blue line to up front? And you said you play a, you know a full two hundred foot game. So you know, take us through kind of like what's that like when uh, you get switched from playing D to playing forward? Yeah, it was actually it was kind of weird. We for some reason we had nine defensemen that were active and ten forwards. So <laughs> when you had that many, you kind of had to uh, kind of had to move around, move around a couple of guys and. I think that, you know, I, I was kind of asked to uh, do the job and help the team win, um, but it was also good because I, uh, I have pretty good vision on the ice and 
just also kind of the way I think the game might be a little more, um, a little more offensive-minded. Um, when I'm in the end, I can be creative and use my skills. But uh, yeah, it was definitely definitely a little weird at first, first couple of shifts, kind of being a little different, not playing forward since uh, probably like Pee Wee or Squirt, and then going into a junior hockey game and being at a position you've never been at. But it was it was a good adjustment. Um, you kind of have to play within the system, and you're going to do fine. So yeah. Yeah, you know, did that did that gave you, make you feel any like maybe I want to play forward coming up here, or were you kind of like, nah, I'm, I'm ready to go back and play on the blue line a bit? Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I, uh, I like I like being on the blue line and seeing everything that's in front of me. All right, so you're set to go uh, to back to back national champions UMD. Uh, what does that mean to grow up in the area and then get a chance to play for a team like UMD? Yeah, well, I live I live just uh, just about two hours away from UMD, but. I would go up there occasionally and watch games and have hockey tournaments up in Duluth. But uh, I think obviously it's going to be a little bit of pressure right when, the, right when you're there. Kind of the uh, the fans are going to be on your back, but uh, they're also going to support you as well. And I think the coaching staff up there is great. Um, even uh, Coach Sandlin had an interview with the Ducks um, there when they were looking for their new coach. So, and it's also just a great. I think it's I think it's probably the best place in college hockey to play and develop so yeah it's definitely it's it's very humbling as well yeah so that kind of flows into my next question too I mean it's it's such a great hockey state in itself and I know this might be a little difficult to answer but what do you think makes Minnesota such a powerhouse for developing hockey players right they have such good programs all the time a bunch of NHLers come out of there is there what do you think it is about that area yeah I think it's it's uh you know it's the only place where you're going to play hockey with your buddies when you, where you live in a five mile radius from the time that you're five until you're 18. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the alumni that come out of there and have great success, they, uh, they put a lot of their success right back into the program, whether they're coaching, um, funding, or really just being around the program and kind of, uh, kind of just, um, you know, showing themselves around and showing the younger kids what it takes and just inspiring them. So I think just the community concept is what brings a lot of success to Minnesota hockey. And, and the Ducks have been drafting a lot of uh, kids out of Minnesota the last two drafts. Uh, Blake McLaughlin, Jack Purbix, Jackson Lacombe, Trevor Yannick, and now you. Did you play with or against these guys growing up, or do you know any of them very well? Yeah, I actually, uh, me, Purbix, and Janicky were all on the same band Malie team, so it was kind of cool being out there with those guys. And, uh I've known McLaughlin for a long time too. Him and Perbix, um, they were on the same team together when uh, when they were younger, and, and we were in the same district. So I played against those guys a lot. I had some good battles, and then uh, yeah, I didn't play too much against Lacombe, but yep, Perbix, Janicky, and McLaughlin, I played against since I uh, as long as I can remember, probably second or third grade. The last year we had McLaughlin and Perbix on the podcast, and uh, our, one of our co-hosts who isn't on the show today, uh, I wanted to ask them if they got a chance to go to In-N-Out while in Anaheim for development camp. It's it's such a, a Southern California or California restaurant. Did you get a chance to go to In-N-Out, and did Jack Perbix take you to Krispy Kreme? Because he was really high on Krispy Kreme last year. <laughs> no, we didn't even get a chance to go out to In-N-Out, um, unfortunately, but... 
No, and he didn't take me to Krispy Kreme either, but I probably have to get his case about that one. <laughs> he owes you some donuts and a burger, man, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, win or lose, the Minnesota Wild are you know, always routinely one of the top teams when it comes to attendance. They came into existence the same year you were born. But did you grow up a Wild fan? And, uh, and what is it about the, that fan base that makes them so dedicated? Yeah, funny story behind that, actually. Uh, the night that I was born... My dad was at a wild game, but had to rush over to the hospital and leave the game. <laughs> so, uh, um, but yeah, I think I think really it's just uh, it's just the fans, they the culture behind it, and kind of just the energy that they bring. Um, I've been to a few games there when uh, they're in the playoffs, even though they haven't been this last year, and it it is wild. And I think uh, I think you know compared to other cities. I don't think they're too hard on them, and they're always going to support them. So I think just the support from the fans is what uh, is kind of what really drives them. Well, we, we got one listener question that came in. We've got a lot of Canadians who listen to the show. And Minnesotans are stereotypically known as Minnesota nice. So who is nicer, Canadians or Minnesotans? <laughs> I'm 100% Minnesotans. I have a cabin in northern Minnesota where some Canadians come down. It. It's 100% the Minnesotans. <laughs> America's always right. got the best of you guys, Eddie. You can't win, dude. <laughs> I tried. I had to squeak one in at the end of the show. But, Will, thank you so much for coming on the show. We wish you the best of luck this season coming up in Cedar Rapids, and hopefully we see you in a Ducks uniform sometime soon. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And there we go. Thanks for uh, coming on the show there, Will Francis. It's always nice to have uh, players that take the time out of, I don't know, being super excited and figuring out what they're <laughs> going to be doing with their summer as they get drafted by an NHL team. So we appreciate him coming out on the show. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. And if you made it to the other side of this podcast, we still have a couple of things to touch on before we wrap. Um, some San Diego news, guys. Uh, Kevin Deneed hired by the San Diego Goals to take over uh, the, the hole that was left by Dallas Aikens. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Uh, I, I kind of like it. I think it's a good move for the Ducks. Yeah, it's it's, I mean... It seems to be uh, someone that's uh, another at least decent communicator. Uh, he talked with uh, Aikens a little bit about what uh, the whole idea is, and it's kind of like he wants to do in the AHL what those players are going to be expected to do in the NHL. So they want to try and play diff- uh, you know, a similar style where I felt like everyone succeeded under uh, Aikens' style in the AHL, and then they got moved up to Carlisle's system, and everything was just completely backwards on it, and then no one succeeded. So uh, I think with them being a little bit more in sync, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, if anyone that wants to kind of be cohesive with the big club uh, and how they do it, don't want to come in and just make it their own thing. I'm, I'm all on board for that. Yeah, I, I think it's a good hire. I think he'll succeed Dallas Eakins in, in a pretty good way. I don't, you know, he said he's going to come in and it's going to be a defensive system. And he's going to rely on the players themselves to have some offensive creativity. It just will be interesting for me to see what kind of roster he's going to get because there's a lot of turnover in San, Di- San Diego this year. We don't know who's going to be down there when you look at the Ducks' top prospects in Jones, Steele, Comtois, Terry. Uh, a little bit of turnover on defense and then bringing in some different guys from, you know, they brought in uh, Paul Urelski from the Charlotte Checkers who were the Calder Cup champions. So there's going to be an interesting roster for him to work with down here, but I think he's got enough that he can still be successful. No, for sure. And then the Ducks, just some minor sightings. They, uh, signings they signed Justin Kloos uh, today and probably going to be playing in the, in the exactly. AHL yeah. and Chris Weidman a depth defenseman 
will be playing also in, in the AHL. And then another player we lose uh, to another team, right? Cali Kosala off to Toronto to become a superstar with Austin <laughs> Matthews. Clearly, that's what's yeah. going on there. But it's just weird. So many guys left the AHL after this season. Maybe it's because they got rid of uh, Dallas Akins and he went to the NH- he went to the NHL. So they're like, well, we don't want to play here anymore. Let's let's go somewhere else. Uh, not, I mean, not necessarily. I, <laughs> no, I would I'm think being, that being sarcastic. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm thinking they they finally did well in the AHL, made a deep run in the playoffs, and they're they're cashing in on what they can do. And obviously, if they're not going to make the big club and they got a chance in another organization that maybe needs a little bit more depth, then why not take that opportunity? So, and everyone wants to go to Toronto. You know that. Very true. Well, let's let's cap the show here with a Patreon update. Um, if you guys haven't already noticed, I got this pretty cool Forever Mighty Snapback on. Um, That's so sweet. If you join our Patreon and you would like to have extra content, if you already listen to us and you and uh, you want more content and more ways to support the show and for us to be able to give back to you, uh, you can go to our Patreon page. Which is? Did we change the URL, Eddie, or is it still what it's always been? We did get rid of the puck guys off of it. It's no, it's still what it's always been for now. Okay, so we're look. It's Patreon.com/slash/PuckGuysForeverMighty is where you want to go. Uh, that'll probably be updated here this summer for sure, because you know Puck Guys is no longer around. Uh, rest in peace. Wah, wah, wah. Um, but shout out to new Patreon uh, member who's joined our Cake Eaters Club, <sighs> Chad Clevenger has decided, Hi, decided to support us uh, in a big way with our top tier, and with that tier, you get. The hat, um, we're putting out lanyards, beer koozies, uh, making stickers, doing stuff like that. <laughs> a little bit of uh, a little bit of gear going back to people who support the show and more more than just uh, extra content. But if you go to that page, there's just a bunch of uh, a bunch of goodies that come along with uh, the the bonus content to give back to you guys for supporting us. Um, and that's just something that we love to do. We love doing the shows. And in the off season, I mean, we still pump out content for free. But if you want to go behind the paywall and check out what we got, we have a lot of fun bonus content uh, for you guys to, to take a look at each month as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you can also connect with other uh, fans that are uh, not only Ducks fans, but fans of ourselves as well. And uh, we have an open uh, chat forum on Discord where you can, you know, BS, you know, take you know, pictures, talk, it's always hang fun. out. Yeah, it's always kind of it's a lively, <laughs> lively bunch, I'll, I'll, I'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, Gordon Bombay gets a bit out of hand and everyone mutes yeah, the chat. Yeah, 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 but, uh, yeah and then all happen. of a sudden everyone leaves for a day and then comes back. <laughs> all right, I think he's gone. I think he's busy now. You don't have to worry about him. <laughs> but yeah, join the Cake Eaters Club if you want uh, If you want to get the, the maximum value out of our Patreon. Um, and we'd love to give back. We do watch parties, by the way, if you're new to the show. Yes. Those are going to be coming up this year. Uh, it'll be in Orange County, obviously, mostly Anaheim, Yorba Linda area. Um, so those will be happening at least four. We did four last year. We we're planning yeah. on doing four this year. And maybe if they speak yeah. into the playoffs, we do a fifth one. We would like Eat to do more. that. Um, sure. But, yeah, if you guys want to support the show, just head over to patreon.com slash puckguysforevermighty. Uh, and also just to touch on something here, too, is we're going to be full-time Twitch. We I know we kind of announced that, but we're doing full-time Twitch uh, for all post-game shows as much as we possibly can. Uh, so stay tuned for that as well. That's gonna it's gonna be a crazy season. I feel like it's gonna be a big one for us. Uh, I had a buddy tell me yesterday, guys. I know we got we got to kind of jet, but real quick, he was like, he was explaining to somebody who I'd never met about how I do a post game show with you guys and how we have had this show for a little over a year. And I, because I I'm really bad at like self promoting. And the yeah, first thing he says is, awkward. "Isn't that hilarious? They do a post game show, and their first full season is when the Ducks have like their worst year in ten years." <laughs> yep. <And I> was <laughs> like, 
Yeah, just listen to that first sixty ever. episodes of the same thing. I was just bitching. <laughs> like, what do we Got do? Last twenty. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? But somehow we eked out an hour show nearly every single every game that we covered. So, you guys got anything to add? We got anything else we're going to be pumping out here this summer? You guys want to talk about, or are we good until, no, until just, next show? Yeah, just stay stay tuned. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty <laughs> much it. And we, we might have some more interviews coming out, so make sure you check out uh, forevermighty.com because uh, we'll be posting them there first, and they'll be out on uh, on social media after as well. Yeah, stay yeah. tuned. Any and all news, check our Twitter uh, especially, and then always go to the website forevermighty.com, like Eddie just said. Thank you guys for tuning in. We love you guys, and we'll talk soon. Bye, guys.